Hello, everybody, and welcome to the next episode of In It Together. My name is Jeremy Augusta. I'm joined by... Uh, this is Brent Gunn. What's going on? So I want to kick it off by talking about the latest Democrat to throw their hat in this crowded ring, but not really throw their hat, kind of like throw their hat like a boomerang, like they know they're not going to win, and that is ex-Alaskan Senator Mike Gravel, who... Um, said he doesn't expect to win, but he wants to get to the debates just to kind of grill the candidates on some issues. Uh, Mike Gravel's campaign is actually super interesting to me. It's ran by three high schoolers who met in their model UN uh, class. Three high schoolers are college students. But yeah, they're, uh, he said, do you realize how old I am when they asked him to run? Um, but yeah, this is just a really interesting story. And he's like staunchly anti-war. Um, and the... Students have been running a Twitter account. They've been running his Twitter account, and they've been, like, subtweeting and making fun of uh, Democrats running. So they replied to Gillibrand when she posted a video of her working out, wearing a photo or wearing a shirt that says, let's get some ranch. Um, Hello, young voters. This is a very relatable every woman, Kristen Gillibrand, or Kirsten Gillibrand. I do things that other homo sapiens do. This should paper over the anti-immigrant, anti-Palestine, pro-wall street stances I took when it benefited me politically. Hashtag gravel gang. So my gravel kind of falls into the category of not-so-serious candidates. Um, kind of like Andrew Yang. No, Yang Yang is very serious because if you criticize Yang, uh, you will be met by the Yang gang. And yeah, they will, I, I wanted to they, bring they will up put a bounty on, this on your body. Specifically about the Yang gang. And that, um, so do you remember in post-2016, we kind of found out that Russian bots were A, manipulating Donald Trump on social media, but they were also boosting Bernie Sanders on social media. And my guess is that the Yang gang is going to be no, the no. target of more of this international botting. Look, like the botting thing, sure, it, it it happens, but there there are fully sincere people that that are on these social media platforms, like espousing what what they do. The bot thing's real, but I wouldn't chop up Yang Gang. Yeah, to, I, I I'll know. I'll kind of attribute that to one of the reasons I'm suspect. And there was a one of the top posts on the front page of Reddit was a deep fried meme of Yang that was all like the photo was deep fried, and then he had super red eyes, and it was like the Yang Gang will destroy bernie sanders or something or yeah like but bernie see that, that that's that, like, that, that's because like all the trump people are jumping from like the re-elect trump camp to well let's just go for yang gang are they brigading yes uh, they're, they're they're trying to bridge that gap i think that the, makes the, sense the maga people are trying to go to the the yang gang they're trying to switch their red hats for i, I whatever think, hat yang gets i think this is insincere yang boosting <clears throat> if i had to guess it would be insincere it it probably is like 70 30 trolling like yeah. if we're if we're being honest, that makes sense to me. But I I mean then I'm kind of like apprehensive because that thirty that are like sincere, they're at like every corner of the internet arguing and like you know saying that people are taking you know, Yang's words out of context at every left corner. You know Yang's policies are perfect. Blah blah blah. Well, of all the, he's kind of the the easiest choice for Republicans who are kind of in this anti-Trump fantasy where they're not going to vote for him. In 2020, even though I think ultimately most Republicans will, um, they're kind of in this like in-between world where Yang went on sh- on uh, Tucker Carlson 
and Joe Rogan and was relative or he wasn't on Joe Rogan. I'm sorry, but Joe Rogan talked about him. He was relatively well-spoken and even um, Tucker Carlson said he agreed with him on some points. Tucker Carlson actually put out an op-ed talking about uh, student loans and why colleges should be on the hook for them. That was insane. Yeah. Um, but I, I, th- I think Yang's kind of this easy thing. It's kind of like a Gary Johnson pick, right? Like, no chance in hell of winning, but it just makes people feel good when they cheer for him. Yeah, but I, I feel like Yang's a bit more of a usurper than Johnson. And I think that Yang's a bit worse <laughs> than Johnson. I, th- I think that what Yang could, like, actually have in, like, in implementation would be far worse. Because, I mean, like, Gary Johnson, like, that kind of, like, quasi-Republican libertarian thing, that thing will never win, I think. Because no. uh, that, I mean, it, it, it's such a, like, a, a minute, like, portion of the political sphere that most people kind of think is just silly and full of bullshit anyway. Because they don't do a great job for their own PR. Well, because, I mean, like, the whole, like, right-wing libertarian thing, when you kind of, like, carry it to its logical extreme, it just gets kind of, like, absurd. You don't need... Uh, did you... You watched the video, right, where it's a libertarian debate and Gary Johnson is the only actual politician who knows what they're doing on stage and people are asking questions and one of the questions is, do you need a license to drive a car? And all of the other people except Gary Johnson are like, no, no license to drive a car. You don't need a license to toast toast. That's legitimately what they said. Yeah. Um, And then when Gary Johnson said there should be some barrier to entry to drive a vehicle, he got booed. Um, so that goes to show kind of how laughable. Yeah. How, how, how like the American sphere of libertarianism has just like totally lost the plot of what nonsensical, yeah. just uh taxation is theft type of stuff. But with gravel, he's a person that I've kind of always been aware of. Cause he's just like, you know, a pretty typical anti-war figure and he's done a lot, like spreading a lot of information against the war on drugs. One thing I've always kind of liked about him is that he's very, um, like anti the death penalty and he's anti capital punishment. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, hearing how he speaks on social issues and, you know, drugs and, and how he talks about how these things should really be public health concerns rather than like a punitive, um, like, 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 like a punitive state, you know, process. Mm -hmm. Um, and then couple that with when he talks about, you know, um, direct democracy and he always tried to make, you know, petitions to have, um, you know, citizens or, you know, council, count, you know, council members be much more directly involved with state representatives, mm-hmm. you know, trying to bridge that gap in representative democracy to a more direct democracy. Cause you know, in, in representative democracy, you have that, that, um, space between you and the people you elect and you're really, you're putting trust in people. But if you bridge that gap, you can have more of a direct kind of correlation into trying to see what you actually want to have stay or go. Cause I mean, I was just in Muskegon this weekend and uh, the things that go are the bus programs. The mm-hmm. things that go are those things that need to be there, but they can easily be cut and yeah. they can easily be forgotten about because the people that need them the most are the people that can't really cause that much of a concern. They have the smallest voice. They have the smallest voice and the smallest like political power. Mm-hmm. But if you break that representative, you know, barrier, you know, I, I think a lot of the things uh, that Gravel's trying to do with this kind of campaign and what these three students are doing with this campaign is really smart. It's really fun. Um, I'm also, he, he's putting a book out um, where he's working on a book that he will inevitably publish. 
So I'm kind of wondering if he saw this as a way to go, okay, I can get some name recognition and people will be interested in my book. Because if he didn't have this 2020 campaign where he's literally calling out, um, or the people running his social media are literally calling out and naming names um, and well, saying Camilla Harris kept innocent men on death row. Joe Biden voted for the Iraqi yeah, and war. Good. Cory Keep Booker doing that. Invent, Keep doing in, exactly that. Invented a drug dealer friend and voted with Big Pharma. So him doing these things, I think, is it's A, his goal. B, I think it's getting his name out there for when he does publish a book, which get your money, man. I mean, I, I had this idea. Me and a buddy were talking. <laughs> Hold on a second. I'm going to tell the story. <coughs> These fucking allergies, man. <clears throat> so me and my buddy were having this conversation one time about, like, you know how there's, it seems like on the right, there's a lot of, like, propaganda and there's a lot of, like, internet campaigns against people and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. I was like, what if you could take that idea from like the left or from like a democratic perspective and use like the meme game to just completely like wipe the floor with 2020. And I think it's really funny because now you're seeing, and like I've talked about it before with Bernie, how, you know, like Clinton, Hillary had zero meme ability. She had zero no, meme, meme capital. Ability. No positive good meme me- ability. Meme capital. Only negative zero. meme capital. Ne- negative meme capital. She had no meme capacity. She owed to the meme IRS big time. Oh, but um but 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 Bernie had that kind of that ability to be connected to like the two gen two generation Z mm-hmm. in a way that few politicians can right now. And if these young high school students can find these more kind of like obscurist or lesser known political figures that um, less mainstream, yeah, less mainstream figures that mirror what I think is kind of like indicative of Generation Z like politics. I Mm -hmm. think that when Generation Z is to the point where they can, you know, hold public office, they're going to have these kind of things as almost like benchmark things like, well, if you're not at this level at this meme level well no 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 no. i I mean like if you're not at this like political level of like you know challenging american imperialism Mm -hmm. challenging the war on drugs you know like if you're not meeting those those requirements you know that like similar to the precedents that 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 elon omar is setting right now if you're not going to meet us there then we're just going to meme you out of the the debate because 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 you're just here as an opportunist you're just here as a career politician yeah because you're not actually challenging the status quo. You're just here to be a Cory Booker. Yeah. It, it's really easy to catch people on that too. Like the, it's kind of like fellow kids, like old yeah, of people like this stupid Kirsten Gillibrand wearing, like she's literally working out and she's wearing a shirt that says like, let's get some ranch trying to appeal to people in Iowa. Like, I don't know how, Maybe maybe it's an Eric Andre reference, and she's just like. It's definitely it not an Eric Andre reference. <laughs> it would be it, that that would be even worse if it was. Because then I, I don't think I could like Eric Andre anymore. I, I think I would call that one legitimate if Jill Brand knew enough of Eric Andre to talk about if her ranch. intern just like if her in there like just, just to, put a ranch just to shirt on. The kids will love it. Yeah. yeah, meme ability in politics is something I think is underrated because I think a lot of the people who are political commentators and who are in the limelight don't really get it. Um, So like Reddit is one of the biggest websites on the internet. And I think there is no 
easier way to get someone who doesn't know anything about politics interested in politics than giving them a meme they can understand. It's almost like a coded language. It's like this is a way you can get people interested in it. So, for example, the Donald will post something of Hillary Clinton saying all the bad things she did. Someone who's apolitical will say, well, maybe I will look into that. Oh, they're right. Maybe I should subscribe to the Donald. And then they'll start. They'll go down this rabbit hole almost. And I kind of almost caught myself doing that when I was watching Alex Jones on Joe Rogan, where Alex Jones said some legitimately insightful things that I agreed with. Yeah, because, like, the thing that's really funny about Alex Jones is, like, he'll say something that is fundamentally true like, like uh, nazis were involved in nasa yeah, yeah. which is just like <laughs> it's it, just the fact it is a fact and mm. it sounds so absurd because it's like I, I i learned about that in my nazi germany war class this past year mm-hmm. and then when i heard alex bring that point up i was like oh wait he's he's mentioning he's right. that and, I, and yeah. I re-googled it just to make sure and yeah. i was just like oh my god but what's so funny is like they have like that that nugget of truth and they just surround it with like the Bullshit. false the false connections and the yeah. false projections and everything mm-hmm. but yeah nazis were a part of nasa like fluoride is legitimately turning frogs gay that that's that that's a bit of a mis <laughs> mis can misquote but he was he was on there talking uh quoting like a southern democrat from i don't know what state but talking about post-birth abortions and i was like there's no way that that is true. And then I saw the video of the politician talking about post-birth abortions. So I'm just saying, Alex Jones isn't as crazy. Well, he is pretty crazy. But even but. even that post boat that post-birth abortion thing, that that also is kind of a little bit mis. Yeah, not not quite misguided. as extreme as no, they're not uh, like eating the babies as they're, something Alex Jones may say. Yeah, I, I I really don't want to talk about post-birth abortions on the show. Cause, yeah, that sounds like a dark uh, place. It's a little bit out of my element, Imagine if you can imagine that. Imagine but, the uh, comments if we just did a whole episode about post I don't think people would know how to react. Well, I mean, like, okay, just to, to touch on that really quickly, just to clear the air on that, they're, they're talking about, like, these really unfortunate cases where, you know, bioethicists and boards have to make these decisions where they talk to the families and say, look, if you give birth to a child who has a a predicament which is going to like I mean, per, it would inhibit probably the inhibit life that their, they could live inhibit the quality their, their quality of life if you want to make the quality of life argument uh things like you know that i i think can be argued in extreme cases but it it's not like oh well women should just have the opportunity to just like kill Murder the thing after, after like a born. week yeah. like it's, no one is seriously it's a weird like that. metaphysical debate to have that we don't i don't want to have but yeah. i what i do have is like when does a a human become a human but what i think is really it's funny question. like i wanted to i want to get it back to gavel one more time because it's like these these young students i mean gavel's a guy who's who I mean, he's he's had books annotated by like Chomsky, and he's he's a person who buys into that that more like uh, American critical camp, that much more kind of like anti-imperialist camp, and like bringing it back to memes. I mean, a huge thing that I see in memes nowadays is, and this is like also just like separate from like left book, is like memes that focus on American imperialism or memes that mm-hmm. focus on like American exceptionalism and criticize it. Yeah. And memes that seem to 
like call bullshit on the American dream and call bullshit on so many kind of like boomerisms. Yeah, you know? it's almost like a hipster movement now to to be anti-American imperialism. No, no. See, that, that that's another thing that just needs to be like wiped out because like that whole hipster term, I, I think that has lost all... Like, Can I like, define it? I'll, I'll yeah, do, please, I'll, please do. So the, the term hipster, how I define it, is to take something and do the opposite and derive value from being against the grain almost. Right, but like, like okay, if you just like get value from being contrarian, like sure. like I sure. think that's a little bit of what being hipster, it's a little bit of being contrarian. Right, right. But, but I do think there is a sense of genuineness. But I, the thing that I don't like is when people attribute just not even contrarianism, but just like you can hold the position that happens to be contrarian without being contrarian. Yeah. You can just be against that thing in question mm -hmm. and have like a reasoning for it. Mm -hmm. Like I know people that are just like contrary, like they're, they're atheists just to be contrarians mm -hmm. or they're Christians just because they're I, I i don't know they're, they're they were raised in an atheist household with no christmas and sure they said, screw you mom maybe i'm gonna be christian i mean there's I always going to be those people that are like rebel but to me it, uh, I, I i don't know hipster is centennial nights but uh <laughs> anyway that's a reference so few people are gonna get hey this is cm life podcasts i guess so have you ever been to centennial nights to do a quick aside before we talk about the Mueller report um I've 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 in, I've encountered enough. I've, uh, you've I've, encountered I've, centennial I've, I've, I've witnessed enough. I went once. It was pretty good. I had okay. a good time. So let's talk about the Mueller report. It's it's done. Well, the Mueller investigation has concluded. There are still investigations happening around it that uh, Mueller has tipped off certain law offices to. But Robert Mueller's specific report is done, and it's been handed in to the White House. Uh, the Congress recently voted overwhelmingly that the report should be public. Um, I don't actually see that happening. I don't think the entire report will be made public because it doesn't have to be. Um, so no, nobody in the White House has to publish it. I don't think they will. If Trump might publish it if it on the off chance that it comes through. He gets the all clear from Mueller. But something I don't generally see happening is the attorney general just pushing it out and saying, here's the whole report. Um, there are no more indictments, so nobody else is going to jail that we know of. There may be sealed indictments, which are indictments that are opened uh, after a certain period of time. So there could be sealed indictments. We don't know. Um, several places have reported that there are none, but there's no real way of knowing that. Um, do you have any predictions about the Mueller report, Brent? Because I'm kind of <coughs> thinking that not a whole lot is going to happen nope. with it right now. Um, I mean... From what I can gather right now, the White House, I mean, at the time of recording, this is the 24th, um, the White House hasn't even seen the report from what yeah. I, I can gather. So I've heard that they want to edit the the report and then release it to the public, mm -hmm. which if that's not a red flag, I don't know what is. Yeah, well, <laughs> the, the attorney general's responsibility is he puts out a statement about it and that statement can kind of include whatever he wants or whatever they want. So it would be an extra step to publish it. I think there's going to be a lot of leaks about it that we're slowly going to get over the next six months. Like, this isn't going to be quick. There's not going to be a big fireworks show. It's going no, to be, no. oh, we have this tidbit of information which kind of correlates with this information, and that makes sense with this. And then, like, the next week we'll have another detail come out. And I think throughout 
and leading up to 2020 and through election season, we're going to see more and more stuff about the Mueller report come out from people who are just leaking information. And if there are these big leaks, I mean, I don't even think it would be like WikiLeaks style like craziness because <clears throat> like the the like the level of like shadow and, and like the, the level of protection that Trump has around him. It, it, I almost feel like even if like these these this information does get leaked and everything that is suspected does come out, I'm still not even. I mean, uh, Pelosi even said that impeachment's not really yeah, even on not the even table. About it. So what even would we gain at this point? Yeah, I mean, she's backing out. Lot. She they 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 backed out like they did trying to impeach impeach Bush and impeach Cheney. Now they're you know backing out now because mm-hmm. it's it's, it's a tough hot political water. fight and it can really backfire if it doesn't go well. Like the Republicans had a crazy low public opinion of Bill Clinton's impeachment because the American people just didn't think that that was an impeachable offense. And I think if Trump, if it was straight up Trump colluded with the Russian government, if that's actually what happened and that's what the report found, I think we would have known by now. Like, I don't think that's something that the incompetence of the white house could actually have covered up for this long under this much pressure. Um, I think what they kind of have right now and what the report may detail is that there are some strange interactions, maybe some meetings, but the American public's not going to be pro-impeachment for something like that. It's just never going to happen. And then the Democrats are going to pay in 2020 for even trying. Yeah, Um, yeah. And I I feel like this is really going to be something that Trump could drive home. And I I have another theory that I've always held on to. Pence was picked as impeach insurance mm-hmm. because even even now like uh what I, I i think it was bernie was asked at like some cnn town hall thing it's like do you think mike pence is worse than bernie oh no 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 it wasn't him it was it was that pete butt gig i i, I mm-hmm. think that's how you pronounce his name he looks like chris farley's brother in black sheep he does yeah. so much but um he was like they they asked him it's like is pence work worse than trump and he had like this kind of like eh, problem but that was asked like on like a legit big stage like mm-hmm. like at like a town hall so it's clearly in like the public conscious and i feel like trump maybe knew that maybe he knew like if i pick someone that's even could even be more unpopular than me like that then then like that that, that will secure mm-hmm. me never getting impeached and well, it's kind of helped reading reading about um the way trump picked his vp and what i've heard about the the pence pick is that pence was bannon's pick and Trump didn't actually want Pence. He doesn't find him likable. This is according to the Fire and Fury book. Um, and Bannon wanted Pence so much so that he actually delayed Trump's jet to meet a different candidate for VP because he wanted him to spend more time with Pence. See, that even confirms my suspicions Pence then. is... Because Bannon's a mastermind. Extremely unlikable. and But he's very strategically chosen. Yeah. And, yeah. and a lot of his anti-gay stuff is a red flag for most people. Americans like him being pro gay camp and pro electroshock therapy for gay people is like a big red line for the majority of people. So is Trump worse than Donald or is Pence worse than Trump? I don't know. I don't think anybody really knows. Maybe socially. Maybe. Yeah. Socially. I, I think Pence is somewhat competent at playing politics and I don't, of course, that's not a quality I attribute to Donald Trump. I don't think Donald Trump is a great mastermind political mover. And I do think Pence is better at that than Donald Trump would ever be. So I think Pence would get more done. Um, and I also think he would be more popular with um, conservatives who don't 
look super into things. Do you know what I mean? Like just yeah. Republicans who aren't super following it, but just vote Republican anyway. I think Pence is much quieter, much more reserved, and a much more easy, easily digestible thing to them. Yeah, but like I, I feel like someone like Trent, like Pence, we can never really go back to. I feel like from now on, Trump's kind of like this precedent because I like, you know, Eric Trump is probably going to try to you know throw his Ivanka. Nah, I don't know about run. Ivanka. She's going to be the first woman president. But uh, um, I, if I, Ivanka Trump was the first woman president, that would be a great, not great, a tragic twist in irony. A tragic twist. Why? Uh, just because Hillary Clinton was set to be the first woman president. Everybody thought it was going to be her. Then Donald Trump beats her, and then his daughter becomes president, the first woman president. Yeah. that that That's a level of irony that I don't think the universe likes to deliver on very often. It would be so nice. It, it, it would be kind of funny at, at, at the very least. The Hillary camp, I think. How how would Hillary voters respond to Ivanka Trump? Because this Jervanka side of the White House is always... Their, like their, if, their brains would just, like, combust. If, if, if you... Again, referencing Fire and Fury, a lot of what... Jared and Ivanka tried to pull the White House to was a more normal kind of moderate thing, uh, ignoring the plutocracy um, and uh, what is it called when you put your family members in positions of power? Nepotism. A avoiding the plutocracy and nepotism. Um, Jervanka side of the White House seemed to be a little more sane. Um, we're wildly off topic right now. <laughs> um, well, we can bring it right back because Trump... Um, you know, made it a point the other day when he was getting asked about the 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 the, the Mueller report. Um, I believe a reporter asked him about you know the state of you know Democrats and you know the Jewish community, and Trump made it a point to say that uh, the Dems are anti-Israel and I think the Dems are just anti-Jewish, which is basically him trying to say that the left is anti-Israel and the left mm -hmm. is anti-Jewish. And uh, my my takeaway from this whole Omar debacle and and the 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 fallout from all of it is the the right and the pro-israel camp are applying year, uh, essentially history from 1960 to their argument and they're using like con i'm not gonna say concrete they're using in their minds deep-rooted historical analysis and like like biblical justifications for their political arguments for the greater israel and the greater jerusalem mm -hmm. If they're doing that, we need the counter argument to be greater than, well, I think a two-state solution is, you know, what's going to win. Because yeah. <laughs> at this point, it is it is flaccid, it's naive, it's probably just unrealistic, mm -hmm. and it's like a disservice to the conversation. So if we're going, if we're now entering into the conversation of, no, we need to criticize Israel and really hold them accountable and try to you know, do what's right for not only the Palestinian people, but the Lebanese people, everyone involved, the Syrians, try to do what's best for everyone involved. It's going to require more than just like incessant pandering to like the vague platitude of Palestine, because mm -hmm. while Palestine are the victims in, I think, the Israel-Palestine thing, Palestine has blood on their hands in Lebanon. Palestine is not a blameless person in the greater Middle Eastern context necessarily. There's no necessarily. clear good guy in the context right. of this exactly, conflict. exactly. And, like, my problem with liberals is that they'll look at who, well, who's who's the person who's probably the worst position in the Middle East? And, you know, the liberal will say, oh, well, it's 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 Israel. And I'd probably agree Israel is, I, one, of, is one of the greater threats. I would say, do you mean Palestine? 
No, no, no. I'm, I'm saying I'm saying a liberal would say Israel is. is I don't like think a, they would. I think this is one of the things that we're starting to see come more into the limelight of the left criticize the U.S. support to Israel and the. I'm saying I'm saying I'm saying East. with like the Middle Eastern like conflict right now, mm-hmm. liberals are more inclined to say that. They're go. They're going to criticize Zionism before they criticize like Pan Arabism. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Okay. So, and, th- and that's because of like you know Israel's backing by Western mm-hmm. ally powers. Okay. Because the problem with liberals is that they'll say, all right, who was like the worst objective figure in the region, and they'll say, you know, all right, we'll we'll say it's Israel. So that means that the victim in that situation is Palestine, and that means that the greatest context that we have to look at the region is that. Palestine is the victim and Israel is the oppressor. And that's as deep as we need to look at the, the entire context of the Middle East and ignore the hundreds of different groups and people that are also being completely displaced by what Israel's doing. The Kurds, for example. Exactly. So if the right is going to try to use like this long strand of history, we need to do that too. And our argument needs to get a lot stronger than just I stand with Palestine. Okay, I stand with Palestine too. I don't think that they that, that they should be occupied. I don't think that they should be subject to worse than apartheid status because of, you know, this having this, their borders violated by be, massive Jewish settlements as well. Yeah, and because of this like this symbolic greater Jerusalem. Like Jerusalem is already greater than it was probably ever expected to be. And this is coming it was from a shithole a, when Jesus was there. So if we're going to criticize it, we need to roll our sleeves up and the only thing that I think that we can really even argue for now is just in the Middle East, nation state self-determination. I think that that's what we need to do. We need to just like remove ourselves from the equation and only involve ourselves where they want us to be involved. That's, that's an ever-growing opinion on both sides, I think, is America should just step back. And I and, think and I think this is going to be like the great, like, or not the great, but it's like, in, in the 80s when they saw the Berlin Wall fall, mm-hmm. you know how that was like a, a large thing? I think that that could be kind of like a similar thing generationally for what like the Generation Z could see where they see maybe peace in that region or a kind of like state for the Palestinian people or a type of, um, I don't want to say resolution because that sounds so naive, but 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 peace in the <laughs> region, some, some some type of some type of like a tangible, like tangible measurable. moment of peace, yeah. that is identified in history, mm-hmm. similar like the Good Friday Agreement, something yeah. that we can identify as a moment. I think that that's a realistic possibility in our history because twenty years ago, no one cared about Palestine, mm-hmm. and now everyone does. Mm-hmm. And I think that that can just grow and grow and grow as more people continue to to just want to get want to learn about this like world that is such like clouded in mystery there's so much about the middle east that like we're, we're just ignorant to yeah. and i think kind of purposely so i think another in 2020 one of the bigger political points that's going to be debated that we haven't yet seen is the possibility of a two-state solution and the current status of palestine and israel and i think Democrats are kind of, or like millennial Democrats are kind of looking at the situation and going, wait, why are, why are we supporting Israel when they're settling on Palestinian land and treating Palestinians like they're subhumans and why, and, and things like that. And I, I I think that's going to be another litmus test for Democrats trying to get the nomination is being 
not necessarily against a two-state solution, but having some sort of empathy for the state of Palestine. Or, I mean, that, and I think it has to come around to, I think it has to come around to understanding that, like, the role of their political systems may hinge on something that we as Americans may not be, it may not sit well with, like, our stomachs. It may not, th- it may not be what we think is, like, democratic. It may mm-hmm. not be what we think is an ideal system. But you know what? We need to respect the determination of other states. We need to respect that. And especially in this context, like, um, okay, it's kind of a strange example to, to, to draw a parallel to, but it's like, you know, um, indigenous peoples that, I mean, you know how Trump set up that barricade on, on the Mexican border? Cause yeah. there, there's, um, you know, some indigenous peoples that cross from like Arizona into Mexico because like, that's where like their tribes their are kind ancestral of established. homeland. <clears throat> right. And it's just kind of like like coincidental that it happens to be on the border because like this pointless well map made man-made exactly because like i was watching this video last night that my girlfriend was showing me and you know the, the there's this great quote where this this native he said you know we're not stepping on the border the border stepped on us mm-hmm. you know and that's kind of how i view a lot of how like the, the middle east is happening too it's like yeah if you look at these, the history these what, borders stepped on them yeah you know like how european nations just drew a map yeah and said like all right well this is i like like how how the palestinians were pushed to jordan Mm -hmm. they're like well this isn't ours this is you're saying this is ours yeah you know what i mean and we need to understand that responsibility and i'm so sick of democrats hauling into majority report or something and uh whining because they think you know the, the 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 progressives are trying to divide the party or push things too far they think that you know aoc is an anti semite it's it if, if if your commitment to the Democratic Party and hinges on this like blameless commitment to Israel, I really question your political virtue at all. Sensibilities. Or sensibilities. I and, and and I question why why you wouldn't want the party to move to a more humanitarian realm. And that's mm-hmm. that's speaking from someone that's not even involved in the party. I'm not a Democrat. But if any party can look at themselves and say, all right, well, there's these humanitarian crises and problems that we've caused throughout the world. Mm-hmm. Maybe we can hold ourselves accountable so that we don't do those again. Why would I oppose that? Why would anyone oppose yeah, that? It's being pro peace is a pretty safe place to be. I think, I think because, because peace is usually connected to it's non, usually the hardest solution to non-interventionism mm-hmm. and interventionism has a lot of benefits, which financially, Financially, uh, socially, power, psychologically. powerly. Yeah. Is there anything else you want to talk about? I saw Weezer over the weekend. How was Weezer? Oh, it was awesome. It was so cool. <laughs> did they perform uh, Africa, Africa by Toto? They did. And they also did Take On Me by Aha. That was pretty that cool. That sounds pretty nice. Man. But they And they did a Black Sa- Sabbath cover. Because I think that's did on they? the Teal album, too. I, I haven't I'm listened sure to it yet. Yeah, I, I didn't even what's the What's your favorite? What's the best? You can ask what's your favorite Weezer album or what's the best Weezer album. And no matter what you say, someone will tell you you're wrong. Blue and Pinkerton are tied for the best. I was gonna say, uh, I was gonna say Green. Green's Green's really good. I'm Island a Maladroit guy. Island in the Sun's great. I love Maladroit. That's the one that came right after Green. Mm-hmm. Is that the? What's the one with um, the dude from Lost? Hurley. Hurley. I liked Hurley too. Hurley is very good. That came out at a weird point in my life where I I just started to try new music. Yeah, 2010 man, 2010. <laughs> 
That's so long ago. That's nine years ago. That's insane. Yeah. 2010 was a year. It's 12 years old. But yeah. Uh, Weezer was cool. And the Pixies played. So I saw the Pixies. I've never that heard was insane. Of you never heard of the Pixies? No, I don't really listen to, I don't know what genre. Rock? Like, like alternative. Indie? I don't listen. I mean, they're like an older, like 80s alternative uh, band. That's why so. I haven't heard of them. For sure. I mean, every cool parent liked them. So that explains they're, why they're I haven't of heard of them. Bands. My dad played me Metallica. Yeah, not a lot of spillage, I guess. There. Yeah, no, sure. not no. That Venn diagram has no overlap. <laughs> okay, you ready to wrap up? Yeah, I'm good. Thank you guys so much for listening. Have a good day. <laughs>